You're listening to a changing of the guard ceremony at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, Arlington National Cemetery. It is a display of extraordinary precision that requires great discipline and allows no margin for error. Perhaps you've seen it and wondered, how are the tomb guards selected? How do they prepare? What do they do when someone in the crowd becomes loud or unruly? And are they out there doing 21 steps over and over in the dead of winter? Joe Varanowski knows the answers because he walked those steps as a tomb guard over 60 years ago. And in all that time since, for the Sentinel, not much has changed. You graduated 1955 from Lynn Bloom High in Chicago. I did. And then you were drafted. Actually, I, uh, I was drafted. Uh, we pushed our names up. My classmate of mine and myself, uh, we knew we were going to go in, so we pushed our names up. There was three of us that were going to go, but only two of us actually did. <laughs> and uh, so we were both very happy to have been uh, going at that particular time because we knew we were going to go anyhow. What did you think was in store for you? Uh, actually, when we went in, the Vietnam um, was not started. Korea had just ended. And um, we were pleased that uh, it happened that there was nothing going on. You thought this was going to be a time of peace. Yes. And it was, largely. It was. Right. So when were you, you were assigned then to 3rd Infantry in the army correct which is the old guard the old guard yeah which goes way back to what revolutionary war time? yes it does yeah okay what did how did that come about well i was um at i was at, i was taking my basic training uh at uh, fort carson colorado basic training was uh eight weeks and then i went for another eight weeks of advanced basic training and at that time um i was a squad leader uh, during basic training and, decide, and they decided that uh, where I should be going is to Washington, D.C. and Fort Myer. And uh, once I got there, again, I was, didn't know what I was going to be doing, but I did find out e- eventually that uh, can I carry on with the uh, fact that I did the uh, training for the casket bearing. And I, I did that for uh, a month or so, uh, learned how to do that, and then I became a casket bearer for almost six months. Now, before you go to Washington, first of all, had you ever been to D.C. before? Um, no. All right. So this is brand new to you. Yes. And do you know what your responsibilities are going to be with this particular unit when you go to Fort Myer? I did know, but I did know that uh, it, Fort Myer and the Honor Guard um, um, were there and that at that particular time it was a... Um, ceremonial unit and I knew that I was going to be going into a ceremonial unit of some sort and do some type of work doing that. What would you think about that? Well I was uh, I always had good posture I always had uh, uh, a way of being a a leader and I thought that well this might be something that was good for me so maybe I can move up the ranks and whatever I do in my short period of time which was not going to be long just two years um, that I would be uh, be able to um, um, assist anybody in doing anything that I, they asked me to do. Right. So I should say that you're, you're 87. I am 87 But now. you look like you're in your 60s. <laughs> I appreciate and it. <laughs> so you wear, you, you, I mean, when they pick people for roles like this, they're looking for a military bearing 
and a strapping, handsome young buck, right? Appear, appearance. <laughs> appearance. Yes. Yeah, whether it be a facial or whether it be body, but yeah, appearance. All right, so you're assigned, when you get to Fort Myer at Arlington, you're assigned to do casket bearing. Correct. And what did that involve? Well, first of all, we, uh, there was an area that we used to train in, and then that was being able to pick up the, uh, pick up, uh, the uh, people that would, had passed away from the hearse, carry them to the grave site, and at that particular time, uh, you have a flag draped over there, carrying the flag over the casket. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our honor to be present with you as we lay to rest your beloved. The soldiers you see rendering honors are from the 3rd United States Infantry Regiment, known as the Old Guard. Together we welcome you to Arlington National Cemetery, where for over 150 years our nation has honored her fallen warriors and patriots. These sacred grounds are a lasting tribute to the men and the women who faithfully served this nation. There are over 400,000 such Americans buried here. And as you look out upon the rows of headstones, each stone a brick in the foundation of freedom upon which we stand today, I encourage you to remember this, that no place at Arlington National Cemetery can be purchased. Each must be earned. After the service was over, we would fold the flag. And uh, I was always at the end of the uh, line uh, where the flag would finally come to rest with me. And at that time, then I would give that flag to the um, sergeant or the captain or the lieutenant or whoever was in charge of that particular day. And then they would present it to the family member, whoever was there. Ma'am, on behalf of the President of the United States, the United States Army, and a great formation, please accept this flag as a symbol of our appreciation for your loved ones, honorable, and faithful service. And you train for this sort of thing because it is so important that no mistakes be made. That flag has to be folded perfectly. Exactly. And we do, we do, we practice with the flag. We practice with carrying the casket. We practice um, um, making sure that everything is military style. Everything is uh, going to be correct for these people to see that we're doing it uh, the right way to honor their they're people that have passed away. And that's explained to you before when you begin this sort of training that your superiors are saying to you, this is so important, you cannot make a mistake. That's drilled into you. Well, it, it is. It is, yeah. And again, as I say, they only take the, you know, and I don't want to say that, you know, here I am elite, but they only take the elite to do that. And uh, at, at the time that uh, this was happening, there is usually... Six to eight casket bearers, depending on the weight of the casket. We've had caskets that were leaded, you know, caskets. I mean, these people that wanted to be buried wanted to have them in lead, and those are very heavy. So every once in a while, the captain or the lieutenant or whoever was in charge would have to help us sometimes carry that casket to the grave site because Virginia and the Arlington Cemetery is very hilly. There's a lot of hills, and you just don't walk out straight out. You have to walk up a hill. You have to walk down a hill to get to the burial site. So you've got to be in shape. you got to be able to lift weight. Well, at 18 years old, everybody's oh, in Oh, yeah, you're all in good shape, right, right. <laughs> 
So you do that for a, for how long? As a I actually did that for about six months. And, it, and after that, um, they had chosen me to go to the, um, one of the other positions that were available and that I applied for, and that was to be a guard at the um, post number one, which was the uh, home, the general quarters of um, General Maxwell D. Taylor, who was the chairman of the chiefs of staff at that particular time. And uh, he'd come home every night. He would be there until the morning, and then he'd have a staff car pick him up and bring him back to the uh, Washington, D.C., or the Pentagon, wherever he was going. And uh, I did that for about uh, two months. And uh, then uh, at that particular time, I made an application with them. I told them that I would like to try it out to be a tomb guard. And they uh, picked me to go to the tomb guard uh, facility, and uh, do the practice there. So I was doing the practicing uh, and, and, until the, uh, the mat was worn out. <laughs> <laughs> Let me come back, first of all, to Post 1. Yes. Uh, which is outside the Chairman of Joint Chiefs. Is, are you in a little house, or do you get out and circumnavigate the property, and you're armed, I presume? We are armed, yes. Okay. We had our M1 rifles, and, uh, and with the bayonet, and uh, we'd, uh, we we'd, we'd, uh, had ammunition. And at that particular time, we wound up having um, uh, the guard. We did have a booth that we could stand at attention in. We would have to be standing, I take it back, not at attention, at parade rest. Okay. And then when we uh, wanted to walk around the home, we had to do that every, every 10 minutes. So you could go back to the booth, stay there for a little while, and then start your walk around the, the property which entailed uh, um, a, a good block, just about a block around the house. And then we'd go back to the booth and we'd be able to stand there for another short while just to rest up uh, walking. This is, a, this is not a ceremonial walk. This is the real deal. You're guarding the place. If you see somebody approaching and they have ill intent, yeah, you would you confront gotta take, them. You got to confront them, right? Yes, yeah. That never happened, I presume. It never happened to me, okay. no. Yeah. So then you applied to be tomb guard? Yes, I asked to, uh, to try out, and I did try out for uh, the tomb guard. And at that particular time, again, they were looking for certain things. Uh, you had to be, uh, have good posture. You had to know the, you had to know the, uh, the manual of arms. You need to know the, uh, the correct way in which to walk. Uh, your appearance had to be uh, uh, precise with everything that you did. And um, I was doing that training for probably, uh, I'm not sure, maybe a couple, three weeks. And then they said, uh, you're going to go out there at night to the uh, tomb and practice right there uh, on the mat uh, at night so that we can see what you're doing and if you're doing it correctly and all of that. So myself and a couple of other sentinels eventually uh, went there and we practiced. And we practiced uh, again for a couple of weeks until they said, I think you're ready. So we're going to make you a tomb guard. Wow, that must have been a joyous moment. It huh? was. It was. It, because it, when you're picked for training, there's no guarantee you're going to get the job. No, no, of course not. No, everybody, everybody likes to do the application. But no, they only pick a few. And there's only a few openings that are available. These other soldiers would have to uh, be getting out of the service for, to fill another spot. So we had three sentinels that were on the same uh, relief, and there was three reliefs. So um, 
I mean, somebody would really just have to be leaving for them to fill the spot. So it, it's a, an elite position in which, uh, to this day, I'm still uh, proud and honored that I was chosen. So when you're going through this training at night and your superiors who are going to recommend you or not recommend you, are they giving you various scenarios that you're going to have to confront? Like, are they mock uh, crowd jeering or making interference, like uh, yelling and screaming and being too loud, that sort yeah, of thing? Well, yeah, you have, to, you have to stop, and, 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 and they tell you what to say. And the, uh, the saying at that particular time, if I remember it correctly, was um, you are, we, we would hope that you would remain silent and standing um, during this particular time of the guard being on duty. And then uh, when there's a changing of the guard, the sergeant of the guard would come out and basically say the same thing. Okay. Can I have your attention, please? It is requested that you... Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? I am Sergeant Davenport of the 3rd Infantry Regiment, United States Army, Guard of Honor, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. This ceremony that you are about to witness is the changing of the guard. In keeping with the dignity of this ceremony, it is requested that everyone remain silent and standing. Thank you. So the first time you're in uniform and you go out, this the very first time, do you remember that? I do. Okay, tell me about it. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Very, uh, very excited to be there, very nervous during the first time because every time that you're making a move at the tomb, you're counting to yourself uh, to 21, 1,001. That's what I used to do, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, all the way up to the end of 21. And then you'd make your move and you would either turn towards the tomb or you would turn towards the mat and start walking the mat. And again, the mat was 21 steps. So everything relates to 21. So it's 21 steps, stop, turn, 21, you count again, and then you turn again to go back the other way. And count to 21. And count to 21. Yeah. How many times during a regular shift are you doing that? Oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're counting to 21 a lot. I'm just counting to 21, that's all. Does that get monotonous <laughs> after a while? Well, of course it does. But in the meantime, uh, you're, you're eyeballing the crowd, even though you have sun, you have sunglasses on. And uh, most of the time, you can see what's going on in the crowd, you know, even though you're counting. And it's repetitious, so you know that in, after a while, the 21 just comes by naturally. But I think that uh, on occasion, uh, not very many times, maybe twice during the whole time that I was there, that I had to actually stop and ask the qu crowd to, to be quiet. You know, that, which is typically the case, I think. Most times it's just people being a little too loud. Well, th yes, it is that. And they're, they're talking to each other, you know, and, and it, it, they're not, you know, they don't mean anything disrespectful. They just are talking to each other and saying, oh, do you see what he did? He was marching and he was doing this and he was doing that. Only one time that I have a, a situation that really comes to mind and where a couple of... Uh, nuns came up close to the tomb. Um, there's, there's chains around the tomb. Uh, there's posts and chains that are uh, keeping people away, but they came up real close to the tomb, and you weren't supposed to have anybody come that close. Were you guarding then? I was guarding. What did you do? Well, I stopped, and I asked them to go back to behind the chains. So they, they actually they turned around, and they went back. Yeah. 
They did, yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're in full habit. Full habit. Oh yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> they I, just misunderstood, maybe. Well, they wanted to come up close and say a prayer in front of the tomb to the soldier that was in that tomb. Mm-hmm. And at the time, uh, there was only one soldier when I was there. Just the World War One soldier that was placed there in 1921, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I had to I had to stop them, and they turned around and they went back behind the main chain that was out there. But there is a chain right around the tomb itself. Well, I read back before there were guards, going way back to the beginning of this, yeah. up until 1926, I think. People would congregate around the tomb. They would even have picnics on top of the tomb because that's an area where you can see right. out over D.C. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Things have changed remarkably. Well, the guards, uh, the sentinels, used to march back and forth, and people were sometimes on top of the mat. So they had to get out of the way of the guard while he was walking his route from one end of the, the tomb to the other. They did get out of the way, but it was un- unbelievable that they did that at that particular time. But then that all changed, and they had civilian guards finally helping people nowadays, uh, telling them not to be going anywhere near there and stay behind the, the gates and uh, the chains, rather. I think that was a, a good idea that they had that. And every once in a while, you may see the changing of the guard, and uh, you'll see a, 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 a gentleman in civilian clothes that has his hair shaved and uh, short hair, and uh, he, would, he would be opening the gate for the guard for the changing, and he's actually a tomb guard that's off duty. Okay. So he, uh, he, went, he, went, he goes over there and he opens the gate for the, peop- for the guard and the soldier to, to come, the sentinel to come through the gate, and then he would close it. And then they were ready to leave, he would open it up, and, the, and they, would, they would go. Okay, you're carrying a rifle. Yep. And when you do the 21 steps and you turn, you always shift that rifle so... What? It's away from the tomb. Every, every time you make a move, you're, you're making it so that the rifle is away from the tomb in honor of guarding the tomb. That was the premise. Right. So yeah. that's a message that between the crowd and the tomb, there is the weapon. Yeah, exactly. Is the weapon loaded? The weapon is not loaded. No. And you can see that when the changing of the guard is over with, when they... Um, when they relieve the, the one guard and take the new guard on, the old guard gets off with his, uh, with his uh, sergeant of the guard, and he shows the rifle to the uh, sergeant of the guard, and he uh, opens the chamber, and he clears the chamber, which there is nothing actually in the chamber, but then he pulls the trigger, and you can see at that particular time there, there's not, a, there's not a, uh, ammunition in there. All this is not to suggest that people should go running toward the tomb because no. there will be an intervention real quick. Right, and there are civilian guards there that do have weapons. So the guards that are there um, are not there for any other purpose except to control the crowd. Well, this is ceremonial, but it's also very serious. You take, you take this whole thing very, very seriously. Oh, without a doubt. Every time that uh, I've ever gone out there and done the job of of protecting the tomb um, and guarding the tomb, I always took this very seriously. And uh, that was my job. That was my job for the period of time that I was there. And I I enjoyed doing what I did. Uh, Very proud and humbled to have been asked to do that job. Were there moments between shifts 
when you would go downstairs to where you'd stayed, and it's a 24-hour rotation. Right. You're on for 24, and you're off for 48. You Correct. Said. All right. So during that 24 hours, and you're you gotta you gotta stay with it. You can catch a little shot eye, but you're you gotta be with it to right. go back out there again. I mean, you spend some time spit shining your shoes, right? Oh yeah, we we cleaned our our uniforms, we cleaned our shoes, we spit shined our shoes. That took a long time because as you were walking, especially in the summertime, the the polish would be melting and you'd have to go back in and you'd have to repolish it and with uh, and we did use spit shining. Yeah. Yeah. Before I forget, there's a lot of things I want to ask you about, but you, there's a click, okay? When you walk it, yeah. you hit both the uh, both heels, heels together. Now, what what creates that? There's uh, what they call uh, two cheaters. Uh, we would call them cheaters because uh, you would you would not have just your regular heels on your shoes. You would have a metal plate that once you make your uh, tur- your turns and you would stop every time that you would stop, you would click your heels together. Well, these. These things have been exaggerated to nowadays that they stick out about a half inch from the heel so that you could really hear that click, uh, uh, which was a a military sound, of course. And it was very, very uh, interesting that uh, they decided to increase that even more than when I was there. When when I was there, we we had the cheaters on, but not as exaggerated. So the decibel level has gone up a little oh, bit. Oh, it has. It has. <laughs> Were there moments between shifts when you would go down to the little place uh, where you guys would... The quarters. The yeah. quarters where you'd hang out. Uh, and did you ever have any conversations with fellow Sentinels about maybe a disruption that had occurred? Like say to each other, did you believe that knucklehead up there <laughs> making a lot of yeah, noise? Yeah, of course. And uh, that has happened uh, not only th- to the the relief that I was on. But of course, we all stayed in the same barracks back at Fort Myer. Mm-hmm. And um, all the tomb guards were in the same area. So we were we always discussed things like that. And uh, yeah, there was times when uh, you know people would um, make uh, too much noise. I mean, they, they'd be making it, it was almost like a party. Not while I was there, but the stories that I had heard. And um, you, know, you had to stop and you had to tell them to respect the fact that you were there and uh, and, uh, and you're guarding the tomb, and they should be respectful for the fact that you're honoring someone that had died. And the vast majority of the time, people will follow that direction. Oh, yeah. Once they get reprimanded, uh, then they would be embarrassed. And uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the embarrassment is, is a yeah. big part of the deal. Yeah. I remember we, we took our boys there long ago, and I was so fearful that one of the kids was going to make noise that we have a sentinel stop and say, it is requested that yeah. you be quiet and shut that kid up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately, that didn't happen. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty respectful. Most of the time, it's pretty respectful. And then the last couple of years, I'm not sure if you had uh, seen this on TV or not, but they used to have, they had a p- several people that wanted to lay flowers at the tomb. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, two days, a couple of days set aside, I think it was last year and the year before, where people could actually walk up to the tomb and lay flowers right in front of it. This mirrors the celebration a century ago when people from across the nation came to Arlington National Cemetery to lay flowers when the World War I unknown soldier was interred. This is also remarkable because it's the first time in 96 years that visitors have been allowed to approach the tomb. And I mean, there were millions of flowers right. that they had put, to, put out there. 
Well, so when you were there, there was just one, the remains of one World War I soldier Correct. in the tomb. Since then, and under Eisenhower, there were remains from a World War II vet and a Korean vet. Correct. And then later, a Vietnam vet was added. Right. But I believe from what I've read, and I, I recollect this, they, they DNA testing determined an identification for that particular. Right. He was a flyer. And they removed uh, the body from the uh, middle grave that was in front of the original tomb, and they um, actually just have a slab there now recognizing the fact of all, all soldiers, military, that were, uh, are still unknown. Nowadays, because of DNA, most people can be checked Ident- back identified. to see who they were. Now we're going to do a little sentinel analysis. Joe is going to watch video of a guard change and tell us what's happening and why. Now through the benefit of videotape that I took 30 years ago of our <laughs> family during a visit, uh, we're going to watch what they're doing here. And this is this is an inspection, so tell me what you see. You have uh, who's there's a guard and his weapon is being inspected. Well, the sergeant of the guard is inspecting his rifle and to make sure that there's no dirt on it, there's no smudges, it's, it's perfectly clean. He's got, he's got uh, white gloves to check everything there, and if the gloves come back dirty, the guard is then returned back to the barracks and uh, has to clean his w- weapon. And that is a real That's cardinal a sin. That's a no-no. Right. But it is truly white glove treatment, right? It is. Those are white gloves that he's using, and the guard himself has got white gloves, and as does the sergeant of the guard. Right. So he's wiping the stock, takes a look at it, right. looks down the barrel, checks the whole thing out. This is this is real. This is not just a show. It's not a show. It, it's he's checking to make sure that everything is clean. Okay. But it, it turns out to be a, a ceremonial thing that uh, everybody looks forward to seeing. And uh, after, after he's through, he gives the, he gives the weapon back to the uh, guard, and he puts it back down on the ground, and they're ready to do the, uh, the change. Okay, and here's the change. And the change is done to the fact that um, everything is done in a, in, a, in a sequence of where everybody is marching and stepping to the same cadence. And this is not going to be the 21 at this particular point. But once they get so far along, they'll meet up with the guard. The guard will walk to the other side of the uh, mat. He's probably there now already. Right. He'll click. Then is this the, the, the sergeant? Is That's he... the sergeant of the guard. Right, he will the make the announcement. The okay. He's already made the announcement the right. previous to the... And they say the same thing every time pretty much, right? And Guards I know halt. exactly what it is. Tell me what they say. They'll say, post and orders will remain as directed. He'll say that. Post and orders will remain as directed. Okay. This gentleman here, this guard here, will turn and he'll say, orders acknowledged. Okay. That's been going on since I was there. Here you go. Okay, so we'll walk on the mat. 
Now, when was this taken? 30 years ago. 30 years ago. 1993. Okay, yeah, because they're all in. But that really hasn't changed then, No, right? no. That, same thing it, you did. Same thing I did, except that these two weren't there. Now you see they're all marching together with the same cadence. One will drop off, they'll continue on. Mm -hmm. and, at, and at that point, he has the rifle on his shoulder, and then he tells him that he can fall out. He goes back into the quarters and gets ready for the next shift. And he's coming back uh, an hour later. Yeah. Or in your case, it was an hour later, right? Two hours later. Two hours later, okay. One thing that really hasn't changed a whole lot. No, the, um, the, what they do and how they do it, the only thing that I, that I don't care for is the uh, theatrical way that, they're, that they move the weapons now. Oh, tell me about that. That's well, a little bit different than when you did it? When we changed uh, our shoulders with the weapon, we would actually take the weapon off our shoulder. We would put, it, we would put the stock in our one hand. We would grab the rifle a um, little bit higher up than the bottom. We would put the rifle on our shoulder, and then we put our hand back down. Nowadays, they take the rifle and they hold it out for about two seconds. Then they'll move it over to their left hand, for instance, for another two seconds. Then they'll grab it by the stock and they'll move it to the shoulder that, they, that it wasn't on before. And that takes another two seconds. So the whole thing is very slower, much slower. Is it slower. for show? It is for show. Okay. Yeah. But it's still precision. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. And when they both do it together, both of these Sentinels do it together, they're in unison. Everything is in unison. They, they all do it exactly the same, no matter if it was slow or fast. All right, so nighttime comes and you're out there. Yeah. You're on the 24-hour shift. Can you relax a little bit? You're still doing the same 21 steps, and you're still observing the same ceremony that you must observe? Yes, you are. Uh, of course, there's nobody there to uh, see you at that particular time, and you are, uh, you are allowed to relax a little bit, but you are, you are still marching back and forth between the one end of the mat and to the other end of the mat. So, yes, it's a, it's a more relaxed, you're not as stiff, trying to keep everything perfectly in order because nobody's there watching except maybe one of the other sentinels to make sure you're doing <laughs> make it right. Make sure you're doing it right. No, <laughs> no cheating is allowed here. No, no. Okay, so dead of winter, right? Yeah. We don't. Washington gets snowy and cold, not right. as bad as Chicago. Right. But can you put overgarments on? Oh, yeah. There's a, uh, there's a, um, a heavier uh, overcoat that you can put on. As a matter of fact, they uh, also, at the, now they have a cap that you can put on over your ears. When I was there, there was no caps. You wore the same hat that you wore during the summer that you wear it during the winter time. Now, are you telling me you were tougher back then? Well, um, I don't know. <laughs> you didn't maybe, have as much maybe protection? It was an, maybe it was an easier winter. I don't know. <laughs> you were there for how long? Uh, I was there from uh, 56 of October until 57. Well, you had an occasion to escort then-President Eisenhower. During the time that the president was elected, there was an inaugural ball, actually several inaugural balls that they used to go to um, every, after every election. 
And one of the inaugural balls was uh, held in downtown D.C. There, I think they're all held in downtown D.C. at different uh, locations. And uh, one time we acted as an escort for the president. We formed, uh, we formed a, um, uh, a V going into one of the um, uh, locations. And at that particular time, the, uh, the president was in back of this V that we formed. And the, the V was to make sure that the people got out of the way. Once he got to the front and he was going to the podium, we were released. And at that particular time, we were able to uh, mingle with the crowd. And we were able to listen to his speech and, uh, his, and, and actually mingle with some of the, uh, as I think I previously told you, with some of the debutantes with, that were there. Aha! So we were able to uh, get out on the dance floor and be able to dance with them. And this was very, uh, very nice and very interesting and exciting for a soldier that was 18, 19 years old to be able to do all these things at that time. So we were very pleased with that. So you're walking with the President of the United States, who's a war hero, led the D-Day invasion. And as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, you you knew that. I mean, you're you're escorting this guy in, and that's that's a powerful moment, I bet. Well, to keep in mind that we gave our allegiance to the President of the United States. Mm -hmm. When we first signed up, when we raised our right hand and swore allegiance to the, uh, the United States of America and the president who happened to be in, in charge of uh, all of the military. Uh, whatever happened, it was his call. You were on Honor Flight Chicago mission number 111. And while it did not include a trip back to the Tomb of the Unknown, you have been there many times over the years, right? Correct. I have uh, two relatives that are actually buried uh, uh, in Arlington Cemetery. And uh, uh, they were they were given uh, full honors uh, there, and they were buried. Uh, one was actually buried in the gravesite. The other one is uh, in the, one of the mausoleums that are there, and um, columbariums. And they uh, we were there to uh, to support them and uh, honor them because we visited them, my wife and I, and we uh, decided to have um, time to go around and visit some of the other sites in D.C. My wife was born there. Uh, I'm sorry, she was born in Chicago. She moved there with her family, and then I met her there. But at that particular time, uh, some of the uh, some of the reasons that we used to always go back because she had family there. So of course, every time we went back to the uh, Virginia area, we always stopped at the tomb to see how uh, my boys were doing. Did you go down to the quarters and say, hey guys, how are you? We did go, uh, or I did go uh, downstairs to the quarters and knocked on the door and uh, explained to them who I was and they were happy to see me and they invited me in. And I noticed that uh, it was quite uh, a change from when I was originally there. Oh, and how so? The room that we had in which to uh, change and to say and to rest and to polish our shoes and make sure everything was right, we wound up, uh, it was probably triple the size now of the room that I was there when I was there. <laughs> With exercise equipment and all that With other stuff. With exercise equipment and, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, they had all the, all the amenities that you could possibly want. Yeah, and you reminded them of the fact that you got through it without all that stuff. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. But uh, again, as it turned out, that uh, every sentinel that ever went up there, I'm sure, was, uh, was very proud of the fact that they were uh, able to be a guard. 
I bet they were glad to see you too, weren't they? Well, they were. They said, well, what was going on back in your day? You yeah, know? Yeah. And of course, when I would tell them it was back in 1956, they would think, uh, oh my God, you know, my dad wasn't even born at that time. <laughs> that made you feel great, huh? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, and I do keep in touch with, excuse me, um, not so much the tomb guards that I was with uh, because uh, I'm on the Society of the Tomb Guards, which is uh, an organization that all of the tomb guards can, if they want, join. Um, but I am in touch with the uh, soldier, uh, one of my high school friends, that he joined the service with me. So we keep in touch. Uh, he calls me every couple of weeks, and we just we talk about you know what had happened, and we spent we spent uh, military um, uh, basic training together uh, out in Fort Carson, Colorado. And going back to when you were eighteen, and you're out in, uh, in your basic training, and you had no notion that this was what your life was going to include. Now you look back on it, and I know you've mentioned a couple of times it's a high honor. It is that you were picked. Yes, and. You share that experience with different groups. You've over the years explained, you know, this is this was what my life was like as a tomb guard. Yeah, I've been asked many times in which to give a presentation, which I have to uh, several organizations, and um, it's uh, it's just a reminder to me again of what I did do because I'm going through everything that uh, I had previously done. And uh, I explained to them the changing and what got me there and how I stayed there and and um, why I was chosen. And I think that's very important for me to keep going back over that to understand myself why it was important for me to um, have been chosen. When you came back on Honor Flight, number 111, you walked into Midway at the end of the day and you were greeted by this enormous crowd. Yeah, I was- And that uh, must have been a thrill. Well, I was very very surprised. In the morning, going back into the morning, it seemed to me like there was two, three hundred people that greeted us. I'm not sure how many were there, but there was a lot of volunteers that were there. They were greeting us and shaking our hands and patting us on the back and thanking us. When we first got there, we had to use a wheelchair. I mean, it was, I guess it was mandatory that you were in a wheelchair to bring you to the gate. We were in gate number one. I have never traveled out of gate number one in my life, <laughs> except for the honor flight. So there we were at the honor flight. Uh, anyhow, that was, the, that was the beginning of it. In the evening, when we came back, uh, after seeing all of the different monuments and memorials and everything, uh, of course, I was not able to go see the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier because that was not on the agenda. But I did ride past Arlington Cemetery, and the two friends that were with me, I pointed up, that's where I used to work, up there, up on top of that hill. And uh, they understood that why we couldn't go there, because the day was full. The day was absolutely full. But again, getting back to when we returned back to the airport, we got off the plane and, again, lined up all the way um, to the baggage department were, and I'm guessing, it had to be a 1,000 people that were greeting us. Among those people were my brother, his wife, his daughter, and their whole family, and a thousand other people. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe the amount of people that were there greeting us all. And uh, uh, sailors, there was 250 sailors that were there from the Great Lakes. So we were uh, surprised. I mean, I didn't realize. People used to tell me about Honor Flight and what had happened, but you don't realize it until you get there and you see 
the amount of people that were there to greet you. Yeah, you're the recipient of that emotion from the crowd, and yeah. it's genuine, yeah. and that's a thrill, I yeah. imagine. Yeah, people from my church were there, and uh, I saw them in the uh, audience that were there, and lining up, the, and they're calling out my name, and uh, I went over and I shook hands with them, and, and my brother, and another one of your uh, Honor Flight uh, people uh, was taking pictures, John Hanley, Yes. And uh, he took several pictures of me and my family and, uh, and the, my other two, uh, the other two uh, soldiers that went with me, uh, military members. It was wonderful. This has been a pleasure. Um, and by the way, as I said earlier, you don't look your age. At 87, you still have military bearing and you're a handsome dog. Well, I appreciate <laughs> that. appreciate that. Thanks, Joe, for all your... Thank you, Paul. Okay. The sentinels who guard the tomb have a creed, which reads in part, My dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted. In the responsibility bestowed on me, never will I falter. And with dignity and perseverance, my standard will remain perfection. Joe Varanowski lived by those words, though the author had not put them to paper until years after Joe's service as a sentinel had passed. Today, Joe can proudly say that his standard was never less than perfection. It is a time of year when veterans hear the well-deserved words, thank you and welcome home. But as we are always reminded, those words are not a seasonal greeting. They can never be said too often. So thank a vet, offer a welcome home, hear their stories, tell them about Honor Flight Chicago if they don't already know. It is our mission to honor and thank. Our dedication to that sacred duty is total and wholehearted. Thanks for listening to Honor Thank Inspire. There are many more stories to come. <laughs>